glad you are here. And we are glad so many of you all are here. Towny housekeeping thing. If you could kind of like scoot to the middle uh, and make room because we still have several people coming in the door. Y'all, I hope it's like this every week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our service. Father God, we thank you for this glorious day. God, I thank you for every person that's inside these walls today. God, I pray that just you would be honored here among us. God, I pray that we would seek no glory of our own, but that we would give all glory and honor to you. For there is no one worthy of our praise other than you. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. These are the days of Elijah Declaring the word of the Lord And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored these are days of great trial, of famine and darkness and sorrow. We are the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, lift your here of Jubilee, out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding a temple these are the days of the harvest, for the fields are as wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, lift your voice. Here up to believe, out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. Here up to believe, out of Zion's hill, salvation There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold, He comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee. Out of Zion's hill, salvation 
Okay, gotcha. She'll be out here, and you may need to get with Thelma to make sure you got all that stuff to be out here. If you buy one of those $6, $3.53 of it, go to a group of people that are called Back to Jerusalem. These are people that are fighting all that. And so I hope and pray that uh, you'll, you'll stop and do that. Well, we're just really glad you're here. Uh, every Sunday we read something in our church because we really believe that when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, something changes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Listen, guys, this world is reeling and rocking right now, and it's reeling and rocking for one reason. It's not because we're coming to the end. It's doing that because Jesus is getting ready to come. And he is. And when you see all this stuff happening and you wonder how this, is, how this is going to affect you and I, I'm just waiting for him to come and get me because I believe with all my heart that's what's going to take place. But we read something because we really believe that there's a change that comes in your life. I want you to stand with me and you can look up here on the screen and read this with us. Amen? Amen. Because of Christ's redemption, I am a new creation of infinite worth. I am deeply loved, I'm completely forgiven, I'm fully pleasing, I'm totally accepted by God. I'm absolutely complete in Christ. When my performance reflects my new identity in Christ, that reflection is dynamically unique. There has never been another person like me in the history of mankind, nor will there ever be. God has made me an original, one of a kind, really somebody. Amen? Now. This is a dangerous part of our service when I turn our congregation loose to try to shake hands with people because I have a hard time getting them back. So just remember, go ahead and welcome all those people that are here. Would you do that? Amen. 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 That's Hebrew for sit down and be quiet. <laughs> Let me make one more announcement. Uh, as our children get ready to come in and sing, when they exit, they will exit straight out through here, out the, the middle doors here of the building, and, and those kids will leave here to go to our, our, our other building over here. We'll have people on the walk, so you don't have to worry about them. That we're, even our security people will be there with them also. Uh, and, 
and so they'll be going to the, our weave worship over there and so they can go over there in the gym and all the other things are going to be happening for the kids over there we have lessons and things prepared for them if you would like for your child to remain in the sanctuary with you please meet them at the main entrance back here if you would and you can pick your child up there otherwise you may pick up your children after the service in the educational building in other words uh, when the service is over you can go over and get your child there amen Let's go to the Lord and just invite his presence to come and be with us. Father, I'm so thankful that we're here today. And I'm thankful, Father, for every person that's here. Lord, how you love us and how you care for us. And Lord, you know, you promised us that where two or three would be gathered in your name, that you'd be right here, you'd be in the midst. And I believe that, Father, with all my heart that you're here. Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to honor you in everything we do, in everything we say, whether it be the preaching or the singing, in every way, we want to honor you, Father. You've done so much for us, and we have so much to be thankful for. So I simply pray, Father, you'd be with us today. God, direct everything we say and do, and may it be a way, Father, that we come to a place that we recognize how much that you walk with us day by day. Lord, may we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. And we ask all this, Father, not in a weak name, but we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. I see the King of glory coming on the
God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough that you came to us. Because we're not even capable of seeking you on our own. Father God, as we sing this song and I hear the words, I see I see a generation rising up to look out that door and see the kids lining up. Father, I pray that you'd give us a childlike faith to just trust you in things that we don't understand. We would just trust our Father in heaven. We thank you that you love us, you care for us, and you loved us enough that you would send your son to die on a cross to pay for our sins. God, we thank you, we praise you, and we sing Hosanna. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
good? Amen. That was really good. Yes, it was. Um, amen. Well, let me, uh, uh, you know, we have a church bulletin, and in that church bulletin, uh, many times we mess up and put things in there that's not supposed to be there that we didn't intend to be there, but it turned out that way. But there, there's a, let me read you a, a few uh, mess-ups in church bulletins. This is not ours, but this is from other churches. But listen at this. It says this. This was in the church bulletins. I said, a bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. <laughs> evening service tonight, the service topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Miss Charlene Mason saying, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. <laughs> Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. <laughs> Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. at the uh, First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. <laughs> One more. This is my favorite. Low, low self-esteem supper a support group will meet Thursday. Please use the back doors. <laughs> well, a young pastor was sitting in a restaurant eating lunch, and he opened a letter from his mother. He just got that morning, and he opened it, and a $20 bill fell out. He thought, thanks, Mom, I could use that right about now. And as he finished his meal, he noticed a beggar outside the sidewalk leaning against the light post. He thought that fellow could probably use that $20 more than I. And so he crossed out the names on the envelope and put a $20 bill in the envelope and wrote across the top in large letters, persevere. So it was not, so as not to make a scene, he put the envelope under his arm and dropped it as if he walked past the man. The man picked it up and read the message and smiled. The next day when the pastor was eating his lunch, the same man tapped him on the shoulder and handed him a big wad of bills. Surprised, the young pastor asked him, what is, what's that for? The man replied, this is your half of the winnings. Persevere came in first in the fourth race at track yesterday, and he paid 30 to 1. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, turn over to the 22nd chapter of the book of Psalms. I preached on this last Sunday, but I want to continue this this morning. As we face Palm Sunday, it is our time that we stop and reflect upon what Christ has done for us. And we think about the cross during this time. So long have we sat in our churches and looked at the cross as something that it is not though some have decided that it is too ugly and they need to take the crosses down so there are many churches that are taking the crosses down because they don't want to offend anyone but the cross is a decision for every man woman boy and girl there's a picture of Jesus being crucified in the book of Psalms, and it's Psalms 22. The Psalms, of, the Psalms is a book of emotions of the Bible. The times that show what, they're, that, what those people were really feeling 
when David went through the trials and the tribulations of his life, he wrote in Psalms 23, David wrote this close to the end of his life when he was an old man, when he was an old shepherd. And he looked back over that time when God had protected him and taken care of him and met every need he had. And he thought about when he was just a young boy outside of Bethlehem taking care of his dad's sheep. And he thought about that and he thought about how that he took care of those sheep and he thought about how that the Lord is his shepherd and that he did not want. When Jesus our Lord was crucified in Psalms 22, it takes into that time. In Psalms 22 verses 1 through 8 it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season and am not silent, but you're holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, and they trusted in you, delivered them, and they cried to you and were delivered, and they trusted in you, were not ashamed. But I'm a worm, no man a reproach of men, and despised by the people. And all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip and they shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him and let him deliver him since he delights in him. Also in verses 11 on, he says this, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me and strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouth like a raging and roaring lion, and I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You brought me to the dust of the earth, for dogs have surrounded me, and the congregation of the wicked have encircled me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they snare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword and my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Let's pray. Father, I don't believe you do anything out of accident. You do all things by simply on purpose. It is your providence. And I believe, Father, with all my heart, it is your providence that every person that's here this morning is here for a reason. And so, Lord, I simply pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption. You're everything. And I've said this many times, but I'll say it again, Lord. I cannot do this without you. We say the same thing as Moses said when he said, I will not go with you, Lord, unless you go with us. I will not go unless you can go with us. So, Lord, be with us this day. And I pray that you would just help us today to make things plain and clear. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Psalms 22 is a graphic picture of death by crucifixion. The bones of the hands, the arms, the shoulders, and the pelvis are out of joint. 
It was the most excruciating way of dying that anyone could go through. And most lingered for days. In verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water. The profuse perspiration caused by intense suffering. The action of the heart, the hands and the feet, pierced and partial nudity with no modesty whatsoever. The majority of Psalms were written in the 10th century B.C. and some later. And Psalms 22 was written by David and King David lived from 1010 to 960 B.C. I tell you this because Psalms 22 gives us a vivid picture of crucifixion of our Lord. And yet it was written roughly 1,000 years before Christ. The first crucifixion took place by the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians in 600 B.C. And in 22, Psalms 22 was written 400 to 500 years before that. Not only that. But four to five hundred years before the first person was ever crucified and a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. Yet the description is immense as it shows us exactly what happened. Now some would say, well, it's talking about someone else. What about verse 1? When Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And what about verse 6? But I'm a worm and no man of reproach of men, despised by the people and all those who see me, ridicule me. They shoot out their lip and they shake their heads saying, he, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him and let him deliver him since he delights in him. He was despised by the people. He says, they ridicule me. And in Psalms, Matthew 27, he tells us, and they, have, and, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou art that destroyed the temple and built it back in three days. Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, then come down from the cross, is what they said. They ridicule me. It also says in verse 42, even the robbers reviled against him. They saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He says in verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. In verse 18, they divided my garments. Verse 27, or chapter 27 of Matthew. And they crucified him and parted his garments and casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Does this not say to us, does this not prove the authenticity of God's word? We live in a time of relativism, a time when we, we say that the decisions we have to make is only made by what you think is right. And I believe within my heart and in this society that we live in today, we long for absolute truth. That we know what's black, we know what's white, we know where the limits are. And the only way we're ever going to find it is in this blessed old book that's alive. Why was the death of Jesus Christ's crucifixion? Could God not just allow him to die in a normal death? But no. 
First, there was a declaration of John the Baptist, for when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He considered him as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, the leaves that God had created, now we're, you know, and, and now we are just like our great ancestors that we take our sins and the things that we do and we try to cover them, we try to cover them with excuses or we try to cover them by, by doing something else. But Paul in Romans 3.21, he says, But now the righteousness of God is apart from the law. And did you know it's God's righteousness? It's not your righteousness, it's not my righteousness, it's God's righteousness. This is exactly why it tells us over in 2 Corinthians 10 to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ is the answer in your life. The only way I can come to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. So for God to satisfy, it took a blood sacrifice. For the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not his brother Cain? It was not a blood sacrifice. Exactly why. We see Abraham offering up his own son, Isaac, that he had waited 100 years to have a son. But God stopped him from sacrificing Isaac. Only the Lord sacrificed his son. Only the Lord sacrificed his beloved son. Only the Lord sacrificed his only begotten son. I once heard Joni Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed, has a huge ministry. But she was paralyzed from the neck down from a diving accident. And one of the lowest times in her battle... When she was paralyzed, cannot even move anything. Only move, it can move her head. Or her. And one of the lowest times in one of her battles, she begged a friend that was there with her, begged her to give her some pills that she could die. She could commit suicide. That she could just die from it. And her friend refused. Then her friend looked at her and said, You know, because... Jody said, I can't even die on my own. I can't even die on my own. I can't even lift my hand to take a pill. Her friend told her that Jesus knew what it was like to be paralyzed. She said, I looked at her and said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, he knew. Because he was nailed to the cross. His back was raw from the beatings. Like, you, like your back sometimes gets raw because you lay in this bed. He, he must have longed to move, to change his position. But he couldn't. He knows how you feel. And as a result, the Lord became incredibly close to me, is what she said. You see, there's not a single solitary situation or circumstance that you're going through right now that Jesus cannot identify with it. The Bible tells us over in the 139th Psalm that, that all my days are laid out in front of him before I was even one day old. There's not a circumstance, there's not a situation, I don't care what it is that you're going through right now, that Jesus doesn't know about it. He already sees it. The book of Jeremiah and the book of Isaiah says he goes before us. 
So he's there way every door that you would go through. Even if you're on a hospital car and they're pushing you through the door. Let me tell you something. My Lord is waiting on you on the other side. He knows. He knows. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem as they went, David sacrificed an oxen or a fatted, fatted sheep every six paces. Can you imagine the blood that was there? Said of Solomon, he sacrificed 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep, approximately 250,000 animals is what he sacrificed. All these sacrifices were a pre-shadow of the sacrifice of God's Son. Hebrews 9, 7 says, But unto the second went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself, but for the errors of the people. And then it tells me also in chapter 9, verse 11 and 14, it says, But Christ being come in a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but of his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled and unclean sanctify to pure the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot or God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, Jesus came into this world to die. He knew that. When he told his parents, I must be about my father's business, he knew exactly what he was talking about. There's another reason, and we're starting to see this more and more in this world that we're living in. We're seeing evil manifested. And let me tell you that Satan hates God the Father, but he even hates his son even worse. And he will try to do anything he possibly can to destroy him. That's why God said in, in 3.15, I will put enmity between these and the woman and thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise his head and thou shalt bruise his head. In other words, he's saying there's coming a time that you're going to bruise his heel... But he's going to crush your head. He, he bruised his heel when he thought he had him, when he crucified him. But Jesus crushed his head when he resurrected. Because Satan doesn't have perfect knowledge. He knew that. There's a red line through the Bible. And starting with Genesis 3.15. And the history of Satan trying to disrupt the lineage that led to Christ. Why do you think things are going on or even right now? They're going on for that very purpose. Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that Jesus endured the cross and then it tells us why it tells us he said for the joy that was set before him what was that joy did he endure the cross for the beatings and the, and, the, and, the, and the nails going through his hands and feet no he did it for the joy and what's the joy the joy is he wanted to please his father but there's another joy he saw because he looked into the future and he saw you and he saw your mom, your dad, he saw your children and he saw a day in heaven when he was going to bring all them together. And he saw a day that there's going to be such rejoicing that it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be unspeakable and full of glory. It's going to be so great that when I look and I see my mom, when I see my dad, when I see my grandparents, what a day that's going to be when I see that, that day. He did it for the joy that was set before him. The prophets prophesied the death of the Messiah on the cross. It says in Isaiah, he despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he hid as if our faces from him, and he despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. Then the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed, wounded, tormented. It also says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet it says also that he opened not his mouth. Daniel tells us in Daniel 9 that the Messiah will be cut off hundreds of years before. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. He says in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and to the world. Galatians 2.20, For I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me he also says in 1 Corinthians 2 2 I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified so is the cross only an emblem to us today is it only something we wear for decoration but you see my friend there's a cross for everyone there's a cross for you. Oh, you say, oh, not me. Oh, yes, there's a cross for you. 118 says, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power, it is the power of God. And four different times the writers of the gospel record what Jesus said. And listen to what he said. And he says this to us today. Then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. What Jesus was saying was simply this. He makes it personal. The cross is not something way off far. The cross is something not we just read in history. It's not just a religious symbol. The cross is in the now. And Jesus repeats this in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in Luke he adds, we are to take it up daily. There's a cross for everyone in this room. Are you coming after Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Then there's a cross. If, he, if he's your Savior, there's a cross. If, 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 you're a, if he's your Lord, there's a cross. Pilate asks the question, and it's the same question that each one of us sometime in our existence have to answer. And the question he asks is this, what shall I do with Jesus? What shall you do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? And the same question comes to you, what will you do with Jesus? Well, I, I just believe in keeping to myself. I mind my own business. But listen to what it says over in John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, the person who just sits and says, ah, maybe someday, is, is condemned already. Has never made it a profession. He's condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, the problem we have, Jesus said one time, he said, they that are whole need not the physician, 
but they that are sick. And let me tell you something, whether you want to believe it or not, this, this society that we live in needs the physician of Jesus today. The Bible asks this question over in Hebrews. It says, what, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that's the thing, you know. Why do people, you know, some people say, well, I just don't believe you know, loving God should send anybody to hell. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You make the decision to go there as to what you're going to do with Christ. If you come after Jesus, there's a cross for you, and especially in the time that you and I are living. Many times in our life when we're walking with Jesus and He shows, up, shows you something that you don't want to do. There's a lot of things I don't want to do that the Lord tells me to do. A lot of times He'll tell me to go to somebody and ask them, say, will you forgive me when I really don't want to do it? In fact, the book of Galatians talks about how we got this warfare going on inside of us, and then it says, where that you cannot do the things that you wish. Man, there's a lot of things I want to do that I can't do, that I cannot, you know. And so many times... He shows up in something that you don't want to do because in order for you to pick up your cross, you must first die to yourself and your own desires. Your cross may be when you have friends that you're trying to impress and Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you telling you to ask that person if they know your Lord. To take up your cross means you die to people's opinions because you care more about what Jesus thinks then you do what others think. And that's why Paul writes over in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's he saying to us? Are we ashamed of him? You know, it comes times that we're so afraid that the world will think we're fools. May I tell you that I want to be a fool for Jesus? I wonder how many mothers have taken up their cross. And they died to their self. They desired for their dreams. They desired for their own desires to be their children's mother that they needed. Sometimes the cross shows up at times when you least expect it. Like the, the couple who are ever wanted to do was, like the couple that wanted to, only thing they ever wanted to do was bake wedding cakes for people and they refused a gay wedding and they quietly declined because of their Christian beliefs and that cross was 135000 in fines and it shut down their business. That was their cross. But there's a cross for following Jesus, and your cross may not be the same as others. But remember, the Bible says, all who shall live godly in Christ Jesus is going to serve persecution. So when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's telling you, come and follow me, but he's telling you to take up your cross. But when you take up that cross, get ready. He could have gone back to heaven. When Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened up and the Father looked down at him and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why was God well pleased? Because I believe at that instant, in that moment, Jesus was deciding, I will be that Messiah. I will go to the cross. On the, on the mountain of transfiguration, the Bible tells us that Peter, James, and John were there and Jesus is transfigured in his glory and he's talking to Elijah and Moses and, and by the way I want you to notice something that he knew who they were 
just like we're going to know one another when we get to heaven. Amen? I'm not going to look at you and say, now, who are you? I'll be able to remember. Now I'm getting old, I can't remember anybody's name, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to remember everybody's name. Because we're going to know him even as he is, is what the Bible says. Amen? And so when he's talking to them, and the Bible says he was talking about his demise. What were they talking about? They were talking about him going to Calvary to die for you and I. He could have gone back to heaven, but he was gone back without you and I. But make for sure the greatest sacrifice that was ever made was the sacrifice of God's Son on Calvary. When Jesus prayed, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why is he forsaken by his Father? Because on the cross, in those last three hours in darkness, because the Bible says there was darkness all around, he was forsaken because he was made sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin for us. It says simply that he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's a poem that says, But none of the ransom ever knew How deep were the waters crossed Now how dark was the night that the Lord passed through Ere he found his sheep that was lost He went through that darkness for you and I The paradox is that when the very moment that God was in Christ He was reconciling the world to himself And the Lord Jesus himself said in John 16 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, yet I am not alone, because my Father is with me. The Father was with him when he was in prison, and the Father was with him when he was beaten, and the Father was with him when he was nailed to the cross. But in those last three hours, he made his soul an offering of sin, and it pleased the Father to bruise him. That's what Isaiah said. Forsaken, my friend, do you know what it is to be forsaken? May I say that I do not know what it means to be forsaken by my Father in heaven? The vilest man on this earth today is not forsaken by God, for anyone can turn to him. But when Christ takes my sins upon himself, he is forsaken by God. Why thou forsaken me, he says, it is not why of impatience, it's not why of despair, it's not why of doubt. It is the human cry of intense suffering, aggravated by the anguish of his innocent and holy life. He knew no sin became sin for us. He was becoming the very dire, vilest people, or the vilest things that this earth has ever happened. He became those, he became my sins. It's not the why of impatience, though, or despair or doubt. It is a human cry of intense suffering aggravated by the anguish of his innocent and holy life. He knew no sin. He became sin. Can you imagine for the first time in all eternity he was separated from God? He who had never uttered a dirty word, who had never had a bad thought, he had never had the wrong thing, had never done anything. All of a sudden, he was becoming the vilest sins of this world. The awful agonizing cry of loneliness and his passion, he was alone. He was alone with the sins of the world upon him. He asked, why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? 
Yet the Bible says in his trial, Isaiah says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb in the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. When they beat him, he said nothing. When he nailed him to the cross, he didn't whimper. But when God forsook him, he roared like a lion. It was a roar of pain. And on that cross, he cried like a wounded animal. It was a wail of unutterable woe as our sins were pressed down upon him. Oh, my friend, make no mistake. Listen to this. Make no mistake. Jesus was on that cross for you. Jesus was there for you. He was paying the price for why you, what you had done. He's paying the price for your and my sins. Well, how can anyone turn from him? How can you say, that's not for me? Or say, how I may someday, someday when it's more convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus. The world today wants a Christ without a cross. But it won't happen. It'll never happen. I'll finish this way. I read the story of John Bunyan. If you ever read a book called Pilgrim's Progress, that's the book that John wrote. John Bunyan. He was, he was driven almost to distraction because he realized that he was such a great sinner. His mama prayed for him continually. Like, if you've got a child that's out somewhere doing things that you don't want them to do, then the, the battle is a spiritual battle. You've got to get on your knees and pray them right into the kingdom, and you can do that. And that's what his mother did. John Bunyan came to know Christ. He realized that he was such a great sinner, though, with no righteousnesses of his own. Have you been there? I have. That I had nothing to offer God. Maybe you feel that way today, that you have nothing to offer. No, you have no righteousness of his own. He said, at that time when God showed me John Bunyan, as God saw John Bunyan, as God saw Lee Cruz, he simply said, no longer confess I was a sinner, but I confess that I was the sin from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, that what Paul says over in chapter 7 of Romans, that within me, within my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. O wicked man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness? That's what Bunyan saw. He said, I was so full of sin. And Bunyan struggled with the problem of how he could stand in God's presence, even with his sins forgiven. Where could he gain a standing before God? And so walking through the cornfields one night as he wrestled with this problem, the words, the words of, of, of Paul came to him, and it's found over in, in Philippians 3, 9. And listen to this. I told you before, it's the righteousness of God. But listen what this says. This is what Bunyan discovered. As he read 3, 9, here's the words that came to him. He says, And I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. It's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness that I need. And I might be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
And when you read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you're reading actually the story of Bunyan's life. You remember when Pilgrim came to that great burden on his shoulders through the sloth of despond, he didn't know what to do until finally he came to the cross. And there the burden rolled off, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. My friend, that's all I'm trying to do today is direct you to the cross. Because it's there you're going to find the peace and the joy that you've been searching for. Amen. The Bible tells us simply over in, in uh, uh, Matthew 6.33, it says that seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you, is what he says. What's the kingdom of God? Well, if you go to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, it tells you. It says the kingdom of God is not food or drink. It's not the things of this world that people are searching after. It's not food or drink. It says this, but it's, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where do you get that righteousness from? Jesus tells us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, he made him to know who knew no sin become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's where it is. Where do we get peace from? Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives unto you. I give unto you. That's where you get the peace from. Well, where do you get joy from? I'm so tired of looking at Christians who got sourpuss looks on their face. <laughs> Looks like they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know? Where do you get the joy from? 16th chapter of the book of Psalms says is in his presence is fullness of joy. And his right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. Let me ask you a question. Have you been in his presence lately? Could it possibly be that the very reason that you've got such an old sour puss, hard to live with and everything else, that you're not in his presence enough? Get in his presence. Get in his presence. Today, we're, as our guys come, we're going to have a verse.